Author Patrick Mason has suggested that as Latter-day Saints, we have a particular mission to the world. We have certain things to offer them outside of baptism and conversion that we can be a force for good in a world that really needs forces for good. At the same time, there's so much that we can learn from others if we will simply engage. Let's talk today about engaging with the world and how that prepares us to be able to live better as a society and to bless those around us in a world that needs our influence. And welcome to another Monday Morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within its pages. And now, on to the class. Let's uh, let's go ahead and get started. Um, I want, as we're starting, I just wanted to point something out. Um, again, as you know, we always I always take these classes and then I post them on as a podcast. Uh, and if you're doing podcasts, it's a, a Monday morning Book of Mormon class. Uh, that you can listen to on Apple or Spotify or whatever it is. And, but you can also go to Facebook, and it's the same thing. It's Monday morning uh, Book of Mormon class. One of the nice things about it um, is that I think last, last uh, month, in the last 30 days, we've had uh, somewhere between 600 and 700 uh, people joining us in the class, which is kind of fun. Okay, But one of the nice things, there's a breakdown in for the... The locations. Number one location is some part of Dallas. Number two location is Plano. You know where number three location is for people listening to this class? I want to give a shout out to these guys if they're listening to this. Hamilton, New Zealand. (laughs) (laughs) Hamilton, New Zealand. So I want to give a shout out to my Hamilton, New Zealand people uh, that are listening and joining us uh, this class from uh, from Allen, Texas, and uh, kind of welcome you on board. Uh, We had a hundred some odd uh, last month that were kind of listening in on this. So. to our New Zealand friends, we're we're grateful you're here. Okay, well, uh, that said, um, I want to I want to start today by um, reviewing a couple of things. As we're we're down, we figure we've got two more classes left, uh, and then there'll be a Memorial Day, and then we're taking we're, we're taking a, uh, a hiatus through the uh, summer. Uh, unless you want to join Cindy and I in the middle of June, and we'll be in Machu Picchu and on the Amazon. But um, but ahead of that, I, I wanted to kind of go backwards and and kind of review a little bit, kind of where we are, because there's certain themes that keep coming up as we're taking a look at uh, 
at uh, the, the things happening in the Book of Mormon. So I want to review uh, just a little bit. Uh, part of what we've been talking about is that there was a fundamental shift in the gospel that happens from the time of Paul uh, about uh, 40 A.D., 50 A.D., as he's taking the gospel uh, all over, and how it in, in, to Constantine in a little over uh, 300 A.D., and then how it gets to Augustine about 100 years later, and how that affects us now. You're going to go, what does that have to do with the Book of Mormon? Um, oh, wait and see. It fits. Um, just a reminder that when Paul was was out among the little house churches in Ephesus and Corinth and Athens and Rome and Thessalonica and stuff, he had a really particular focus, and that was reconciliation. How do I bring Romans and Greeks and Jews together? How do I bring slaves and free together? How do I bring and then bring us all together and with with the, the suffering of Christ allow us to be reconciled to God. So it was all about reconciliation, bringing people together. And an expectation that the second coming was near. It was only near towards the end of Paul's life that he went, ah, I guess it's not happening in my lifetime. Um, but their focus was, and his writings and his, and his drive of that first century church was getting everybody together and, and, and a community and preparing a community so that Christ could come and have a place to dwell. They weren't worried about heaven. Not worried about what's up there. Heaven's coming to us. So we got to get us ready as a community for them to join us. Okay? Now, by the time we get uh, two or three centuries later, and now it's going to land with... Uh, First of all, Constantine, and it's going to land on this Greek-Roman way of looking at things. Who's the good guys and who's the bad guys? And who's the strong guys and who's the weak guys? And which gods are we going to follow? And we're going to follow the strong gods and then the weak gods. You know, and the, so the, the, the uh, Greek um, and Roman way of looking at things is completely different. And so now we go from a Christianity that was about reconciling people together and not being separated from one another, that, that slaves are just as good as their masters. Uh, they ended up going to, now we're going to focus on sin. It's all going to be about sin and who's sinning and who's not. And it's not going to be about reconciling in this life. It's about who makes it to heaven. It's not about community. It's about I got to solve my problems and I get to go to heaven and you might not. <laughs> okay? And it's a major shift. So so when you're going to when you start moving away from reconciliation and being transformed and you're going to now go it's about sin and and going to hell well you got to figure out who's going to hell and who's not <laughs> it really is about that so so now you're going to who's going to go to heaven and what qualifies you to go to heaven uh, who's going to get left behind in in going to heaven 
now that makes it more complicated. That's why you're gonna you need to have like the Nicene Creed, and you got to get people together. We got to decide who's going to heaven and what kind of things get you to heaven and what kind of things don't get you to heaven, and and we got to qualify you and we got to figure out which side of the road you're on. And if it's all about heaven and hell, it's a pretty big divide. <laughs> Congratulations, you made it to heaven. Yay, you're going to hell. Well, that's lots of flames and burning and there's and it, not a lot of middle road in between that, okay? Now, by the way, if you're a Christian who's living under those times and it's about who's going to heaven and who's going to hell, does that affect how you worship? Does that affect what you do? Does that freak you out? <laughs> well, it did them. Um, and one of the traditions is is that it, it kind of continued. So if I'm trying to figure out who is not going to heaven, uh, if I if I'm a uh, if I'm a Catholic, I'm part of the the Roman Catholic Church under Augustine. Who gets to go to heaven? The Roman Catholic. It, and what would it take it to be a Roman Catholic going to heaven? What do you got to do to qualify for heaven? First of all, you got to be baptized. What else? Is that enough? And confirmed. And? Yeah, the rites. In other words, and the, and the Catholic Church would call these the sacraments. You've got to participate in the sacraments. So you might be, uh, and you, you were born with original sin, so first of all you need to be baptized to get rid of the original sin, and then you've got to be confirmed at the right time, and then you've got to uh, go to Mass, and you've got to go to confession, and you've got, what happens if you're close to dying? You divine unction, right? Extreme unction. You're going to have to be able to get the, uh, the, yeah, the last rites. There's a lot of steps. Otherwise, you're frying a lot. It's not good. Yeah. And also, if you don't follow all the rules, the priest won't marry you. Yes. What if you get divorced? What if you're living in sin and some sort of thing? If you don't bring your children up a certain way, yeah. The things for them, they have ways of excluding you and that sort of thing. So it makes it, you just better go along with it. So even if you were born into the church, there's still a lot of ways you can still go to hell. (laughs) Now, by the way, one of the things that the the, uh, Catholic Church really taught was if you're if you weren't ever a member of the church but you have died, there are some things that you can do as a Catholic to take care of your dead. It may cost you a little bit. These are the indulgences. You're going because now they're in limbo. How long are they going to be in limbo? I don't know. How many candles can you light? Limbo is if you don't get baptized. Yes. So I've got a way of getting you out of there. And then I still don't know if you're worthy. So now, even if you're baptized, now you get to the other side, and there is purgatory. How long are you going to be in purgatory? I don't know. And the idea of the indulgences was we can speed you through. Your relatives can be going to be sped through, you know, purgatory. They get to heaven faster. And especially if we can, we can find the right saints that are going to pray for you. And it, you see all the mechanics that started going into this thing? All built on don't go to hell. Make sure your kids don't go to hell. Make and recognize now. If I'm a, if I'm, if I'm Catholic and I'm doing all these things, and here comes the Ottomans, 
or here comes the, the Buddhists, what about them? Oh, they're definitely going to hell. <laughs> but basically, there's a lot of people going to hell. There's just a few people going to heaven. Everybody else is basically going to hell. It's just... Okay? And, and, and so when we go down this road of... Who gets to decide then who's going to heaven who's going to hell? Somebody's got to be the arbiter on this thing. Is that enough? Did you and I, if I'm going to get you to, if you're going to come in and confess something to me, Brent, how do I make sure that you are now back on the right road? Priest has got to be able to decide how many Hail Marys, you know, our fathers, you know, in other words, what kind of things can you do? And even then, you still get up in purgatory. It may not be enough. So there has to be a decision maker. And that means how much repentance have you done enough. Uh, Now, as we're looking at all this, by the way, some of this ought to sound a little familiar. (laughs) Okay? Because we have, and I don't want to go into a lot in detail today, but man, we have, over the years... Our church kind of gathered some of this traditional Christianity stuff and built this in, especially that first generation of the church. Okay, now, so so you want if you that you'd you'd want you'd want a T-shirt like that. <laughs> I made it. Okay, so now we get into now we get into Calvinism and and the Reformation and the Great Enlightenment. Uh, was this a step forward? No, it was kind of a step backwards. Because now we're going to exclude all of the... There's no chance for the dead at all. Uh, now, under this idea, who's going to heaven? Under Luther and Calvin and all those guys, who's going to heaven? Whoever believes in... It's about confessing Jesus, right? Who is not going... Who's going to hell? Jews? Yes. Buddhists? Yep. Muslims? Yep. Mormons? Yep. Everybody, everybody's, everybody else is going to hell. Okay? Except us. And Calvin, bless his heart, also said, and so that means that, yeah, Calvin is going to say, you know, even there's an awful lot of kids that are going to be born into this world that are, they're on their way to hell. In other words, some are elected to be here and some are not elected to be here. Yes, ma'am. Excuse me, the Calvinists are they Methodists? That, that yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah, Methodists were kind of go back to Calvinism yeah. and yeah, the Westminster right. Confession and all that kind of stuff. That's right. And Presbyterians are very Calvinistic, right? They're not? Okay. So they're not. They were followed by John Knox. Okay. There we go. So, But there's still a sense of who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. Yeah. Right? That's the deal. Okay. Now, so, so what that gives rise to, and again, we're, we're working our way towards Alma and the Zoramites. Okay. Really, there's a road here. When you're going to go down this road, here's what happens. 
if, if you're, if you're going to be preaching that some people are going to heaven and some are not going to heaven, in fact, most are going to hell and it's a bad place, uh, you're gonna, there, there are two ways of looking at it, basically, and then I'm going to show introduce a third. One is exclusivism. You want to know at any given time, am I one of the heaven people or am I one of the hell people? Because <laughs> the heaven people, here's the things that you got to do, and, and the hell people are the ones that aren't doing what you're supposed to do. Perfect, right? So that means that I'm going to go out into the world and I'm going to take a look. Are you one of us's, the elect people, or are you one of them's, the going to hell people? Where are you in that thing? Okay? And so we get this exclusivism that is, I'm elected, I, I'm somehow better because I've done this or I've done that. Or Now, is this just, is this just like Christianity that's done this? How much for a lot of Judaism? Who, who, goes, who goes to heaven if you are an Orthodox Jew? Orthodox Jews. Uses. And how did you get to be an us? Followed all the Orthodox doctrines. Part of it, but it, what's even more importantly? You were born one. You were born with it. Yes. In other words, it's by lineage. First of all, you were a lineage Jew. You're born into it. Now you need to keep the law of Moses. Now it's possible if you're one of those Gentiles, and Paul worked a lot with proselytes. Uh, that would have to go through a series of things and then there's that circumcision thing and you know there's a lot of things right but if you're not going through all these things the us's are we're, we're the elected people and they're not so Gentiles are you know or the pagans pagans are going to fry and then there's us's okay that's exclusivism now by and large how does the world itself handle the idea that says there is only one true way to God and everybody else is going to hell? They don't like that? Why? I don't know, but I want us to get back to following Christ and loving everybody. But back to the yes, right? Which feels better. And, and most of the world then says, you know what, I have the only true church on the face of the earth, and you're not. <laughs> How do they tend to respond to that? Not well, right? So you're exclusive. There's only one way, and everybody else is frying. Now, in the church, we go, no, you're not frying. It's a nice place. It's just not the really good place where we go. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Al? Yeah. Yeah, um, Patrick T. Mason. Um, yeah. Solid and I are reading books by Patrick T. Mason. And he talks about, in one of his books, about how um, we were actually just talking about this last night. About how um, he did the math, and something like 99% of the like even, even more than 99% of the world um, is not um, a member of. Church, right? They don't think right. about Joseph Smith. They don't think right. about the gospel. So, in Patrick Q. Mason's view, um, it's basically um, kind of like a like a like a, a the church needs to transform. It needs to reform. It needs to view Patrick Q. Mason. And you know, by the way, for everybody, you know anybody who's you know curious, he's a he's a he's a historian. He's he's, he's the. Uh, 
He's the Leonard Arrington Chair at Utah State in Mormon Studies. Well, there you go. And I may or may not have stolen some of this from him. <laughs> he, he says, he says Maybe. the church needs to reform in the way that um, in the past uh, 50 or you know, 75 years or so, the way that we, as culturally, the way that we view yeah. um, who is going to go to heaven and how is Okay, hold, hold on to that idea. <laughs> You're about two steps ahead here. Okay? Um, so, now, in response to this exclusive idea, if you're in the world and you think that's kind of that the that uh, missionaries or the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Jews or the Muslims or anybody who thinks there's exclusive, they have another way of looking at it. If I'm a little bit more uh, informed, I'm a little bit woke, but I, I'm still kind of spiritual religious, in their mind, who goes to heaven? Doesn't matter which religion you're in. To them, it's a matter. So the pushback against being exclusive is relativism. It's all relative. It doesn't matter which church you go to. Any church will get you there. It's like it's like a mountain, and a, at the bottom of the mountain, we're all distant. But the closer we get to the top, we get closer and closer to one another. So it doesn't. So so your faith tradition isn't any better than my faith tradition, and they're all heading in the same road. But you can't claim that you're the only one. And that just feels better. That's ecumenical. It is very ecumenical, right? Yes. Yeah. In other words, every, we're going to combine everybody kind of together. Yeah. As late as 1918, when my uh, grandmother died, without baptism of any kind, right? she was told by a certain Protestant religion, and I'm not going to say which one it is, um, that, well, her family was told that she would be going to hell because she had not been baptized yeah. in their church. Right. And I'm sure that that happened after 1918 as well. But for my particular family, I mean, I hadn't been born yet, obviously, but for my particular family, we were told that our grandmother would go to hell. Yeah. And, and, and having to live with the idea that part of your family. You can see why relativism begins to be more sellable because if I'm really tight here then, then for instance if I've, got, if I've got kids that are outside my religion now I'm, kind of, I'm worried all the time because they're going to die soon and then they will be on their way to hell. Now this feels better any way, any, any way works. Combine it together. Okay. Uh, so this is the one that we've seen kind of in the world a lot. Now, one of the things that Patrick Mason has suggested uh, is, is a third road here, which I, I think we're going to see how this works. And he calls, he calls this particularism. Particular means, uh, if we go back to uh, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul, when he's talking to everybody, says, and, he's talk, and, and he was really, I think, impressed by the, the people in Corinth. Uh, he saw a wide range of people. 
And, and this is where Paul is going to say to them, um, you may be the eyes of the body of Christ, but he may be the foot. <laughs> and you might be the liver. <laughs> and he say, and the eye can't say to the foot or to the liver, I don't need you. You have a particular role to play in the body of Christ that is essential. But you don't want to have an all-liver church. <laughs> You don't want to have a church of all eyeballs uh, because you want to also have hands and you also want to have a stomach. You know, and he's just like, he's trying to say the body of Christ is made up of a lot of particular skills. And that's when he goes into the gifts of the Spirit. Some people have the gift of speaking, some people have the gift of serving. Some get, in other words, he said, we have particular skills and we will, but think of what, what Paul was doing. He's going back to the idea of community. We're going to live as a community and we need the slave, people who grow up in slavery, we need your skills and your humility along with we need somebody that maybe was Jewish and they brought those things to the table and somebody else who was Greek and understood kind of Greek thought, maybe they've got something to contribute as well. So particularism means we're going to live together but we're going to draw strengths from everybody. Okay? Does that make sense? Does that feel better? But you can see where Paul's going where he's saying I want to build a community of people that are diverse but also bring your skills uh, again, like I've talked about in my in my practice, when I've got when I've got people coming in for marriage counseling, and I've got couples that are on the we're going to be competitive. Our marriage is competitive. This is fair and this is not fair. How many times did you do the dishes? And how many times did you do the dishes? And I cleaned up this many times. And you're going to take how many diapers did I change? And how many you know? And it's like I'm competitive and I did more than you and you love me more than me and I've done more to this marriage and I'm contributing. You're not contributing and we're going to weigh this thing and see who's got the most and you know it's competitive. And we're and I'm you know and trying to get people to go. How about we bag the competitive and say how about we do collaborative. You may be the foot, and she may be the brain. <laughs> let's don't keep. Let's collaborate and work together to figure out how to make the whole thing stronger. Okay. If anybody has ever worked in any part of accounting, if you have a company of just accountants. <laughs> What's the problem? Or all engineers. It's an all engineer company. You're dead. You're dead. <laughs> because if it's an all engineer company, we're going nowhere, but we analyze the snot out of everything, man. <laughs> and it'll be perfect, but we'll never move. What happens if you have a whole business full of all sales and marketing people? It's fun. We're having a great time and we're going bankrupt. Nobody was watching the budget. <laughs> <laughs> if we're not collaborating, we, we're sunk. I saw a hand over here. Yeah. Yes, um, I was reading yesterday um, that the church had an interfaith fireside where they invited Jews. Yes. Hindu, I mean, for Muslim. I mean, just a bunch of different faiths to come and discuss our different um, and our different strengths that we all bring together, right? 
at a, an executive level, the church is work, really working hard about saying, and we're trying to do outreach, and that doesn't mean we're going to pull them all in together and then hand them a Book of Mormons and try and convert them by tomorrow and have the missionaries come visit them. We are trying to get their strengths to combine with our strengths. Okay. We are. And so we're going to talk about that in a sec. Yeah. Um, yesterday in, in testimony meeting, I was sharing that I grew up multi-religions. Uh-huh. I was half-time Catholic. My dad was a spiritist. So I've been baptized in all churches, so I'm better. Yeah. <laughs> You, you, you cover the waterfront. You know what? You'd have been re- really happy as a as a Roman citizen, and we're just gonna, and as a Greek, who just make sure you get a little bit of everybody's gods, and one of them is probably right. Oh my God, yeah. Last night when uh, I was talking with Adam about this, I told him that as a kid I feel very very guilty because I grew up in I was going to a Catholic school. Yeah. And it, it was. The time that I needed to be uh, presented or the communion. Yeah, uh huh. So the noon after school, he was teaching me the New Testament. Uh huh. And I was so excited. It was the first time because in my dad they don't talk about the story. They don't talk about the Bible. Right, right. Uh, the Catholics only the people, the priests are the ones that know the best. <coughs> so. Listening for the first time, it was like I was seven years old, and I was like, "This is good. I'm going to." Yeah, I like this stuff. Yeah. And my mom immediately said, "Oh no, no, you're getting confused." And I stopped going to that school because I was getting ready to be baptized in the church. Right. But I always have that division in my heart. Like we were talking here about so good things, yeah. But I, I needed to reject them because they were not. Not us. That they're not us. Yes. Yeah. And so now I have to pretend that that's not there. But your heart said, you know what? There's good stuff here. I'm hearing stuff that connects, but because they're not us, I have to not. I have to kind of pretend they're not there. No. I, by the way, did you get a Catholic? Did you get a confirmation name before you stepped away? Uh, no. Ah, oh, that's too bad. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Everybody know that that if you're going to be confirmed, you're going to take on a new name. I just think that I just think that's interesting. Not sure, not sure where that comes from, but an additional name like Mary, Ca- Mary Catherine, you know. Well, I had one in my father's church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I just asked Jim his new name. I think some of the tradition our tradition does apply to me because I'm a convert. Right. But you look at the history of the church, and wow, people had a right to be, you know, not inclusive because uh, of the taboo and the murders and ah. the persecution. And, the, and don't I think that became generational because people be distrustful of the government. There you go. All kinds of things. And I think uh, to to defend people who have a little bit of that mindset. They, they've heard these stories. They, we study our Absolutely. Family. We're supposed to be very proud of our family history. Right. And all of that. And so I think some of that is, you know, is to be that, understand why it would be that way. Can you see why, as a church, traditionally, that we have had an exclusive bunker mentality 
because of we were in New York and we got tossed out of New York and then we're in Ohio and we get tossed out of Ohio we're in Missouri and we get tossed out of Missouri and we're in Illinois and we get tossed out of, and then we go to Utah great we're in the mountain and they send an army you, you know you can see why we had this bunker mentality and which is funny because then they then once we get to Utah especially now we're part of Israel and that means outside the Wasatch Front who's out there Gentiles <laughs> who's got the truth we do and who's out there the ones going to hell so so we need to go from our bunk inside our bunker this is the fortress mentality you open the gates and then we send the missionaries forward to go out and capture you and bring you back into the bunker and close the door <laughs> Because there's nothing in the world for us. There is us and the world. Come out of the world. O Babylon, O Babylon, we what? Bid thee farewell. We're on our way to Zion, to Ephraim to dwell. Well, also, when you were on your mission in England, did you see some really nasty stuff written in oh. papers and things about oh. Yeah. I remember standing in a post office with a little lady, and she says, oh, where are you from? I says, America. Oh, you're a Yank. What are you doing here? I says, I, I'm, I'm a Mormon missionary. And she's like, no, you can't be. You must have a, a tall hat and wear big, long, black coats. <laughs> And come here to take the, the girls in England and haul them off to Salt Lake. And I said, like to, to the temple? And yeah, yeah, I, hear all, I read all these things about what they do in the temples. And so, you, so you can see. Oh. But see, even in there, so in England, it's like we're, we're on the island. We're, we're good. We're protected. And here come these guys over here. These guys are part of a cult. They're going to hell. But they're trying to somehow convince us. But you just see it, right? But I understand that we have a bunker mentality in the church. So trying to make this transition out to where we're listening and part of the world, this is a this is gonna this is gonna take a generational transition. Yeah. I, I think that it's a you know in my view it's important to recognize that you know the bunker mentality. Obviously, you pointed to you know you're pointing to geography. Right. Geography was a nice start. It lent itself to that. Uh -huh. They're having the civil war out there. We'll just hang out here, and they deserve that civil war. I think that there's. I think that there's probably some other significant reasons, though, that why why the church would be perceived as so exclusionary, and why it actually was so exclusionary. Yeah. And I think the reasons are, you know, are, are um, embedded in both dogma and culture. So yep. Some yep. Things I'm yep. You know, <laughs> imagine you're, you know, imagine it's like 1850 and you've got to wear garments that go, you know, down to your ankles and your wrists. Or they've got, um, or there's polygamy, right? Which was something that was, you know, something that was entirely uh, uh, culturally, that's right. you know. A Abraham Lincoln ran on the anti-polygamy plank, right? Or or there could be, there could be other things too, like, um, I'm thinking about like, like the temple, for example. Right, the, the the Gentiles, you know, they knew that they, everybody else outside of the Mormon Church, they knew that they couldn't enter into the temple. And the church itself, right, obviously uses the temple to be able to say, if you want to, right, to hold people at bay and say, if you want to be part of us, then you have to, you know, be ready to end, prepare to enter the temple and enter the temple. And then those covenants that are made within the temple, um, especially in that, you know, I think, you know, like let's say a hundred. 
50 years ago or 100 years ago, I think that those, the way that those covenants were made were just different than it is now. Right? Like those commitments of the covenant and the way that people had to yep. place on mm -hmm. There was, I mean, there was a whole, you know, there's this whole concept of, um, oh, what do we call that? Because we, we um, it's not communism. What is it? What communal, communal. Like uh, socialism? Well, how, how, however, um, the law of consecration. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like everybody, you know, everybody giving their, all of their possessions to the church. That's right. Like those are, those are things that would create a bunker mentality in a bunker community. It's part of what God has tossed out of Missouri. If we're, if we're moving to Missouri and we're coming and we're bringing all these people into Missouri to create Zion, are we shopping at Gentile grocery stores? <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're over there at Eli Whitney's store, man. We're not. And, and are, we, are we utilizing, are we connecting? Now, by and large, Missouri was Missouri, and because we weren't going to horse races and we weren't gambling and we weren't drinking at the saloon, stuff like that, that was going to make us different. But even more than that, we wouldn't, we wouldn't frequent their businesses. We didn't mix. Okay? Yeah? If somebody moved into Allen, Texas, <clears throat> and widely publicized that they were the chosen people. Oh, yes. And this site was the site of the and God And God said that Alan is ours. Yes, and there are lots of people coming. We're sending missionaries out. They're all going to come here. This is ours. Yeah. And and not only that, we're out. We're actually sending missionaries out to the Indians, just on the other side of the line, and they're going to come join us as well. We're chosen. Yeah. And the slaves are coming. By the way, did we mention the slaves? They're coming too. Okay. Yeah. You can see why, even though it was a sense of community, it's like this is a community that's very very threatening. Okay. So. That, that said, how are we doing so far? <laughs> okay, where are we today? Well, this is uh, 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 Elder Kiron uh, speaking at BYU. He says, uh, Do we fear the world more than we shape it? Do we let our anxieties prevent us from making a difference? Do we spend more time hiding from society's flaws than fixing its problems? If we're inside the bunker, we kind of almost don't care. They, they made their bed, they'll lie in it. Okay? But if we are opening our fortress, if we're pulling down our walls and saying, our job is to do something substantial in the world, not live inside the bunker. That was, I get what that was the 19th century and all the persecution, and the 20th century, early, where, where we were still fighting polygamy and stuff. I get there was a years and years of bunkerism. An exclusive-ism. But the church is saying, guys, we got something that the world needs. And it isn't, it isn't necessarily baptism. Though that will come in this life or the next. It's coming. The temple will, at the end, by the end of the millennium, how many people will have received their baptismal covenants? By the end of the millennium? Everybody. By the end of the millennium, how many will have received their endowment? Everybody. So it's coming. So we have a job now. And he's saying, uh, if this is the case, then society is not something that happens to us. It is something that we do what? We shape. 
We're part of this deal. The main thing is to engage, dialogue, bridge, interact with people of all sorts. Unless we participate, we lose our ability to both influence the world and learn from it. Now, guys, I have to admit that for me, this has actually been one of those things that's like, it's in my DNA. It's what I grew up with. That if I'm going to come across somebody and you're not a member of the church and that your neighbor you just moved in, my DNA says, uh, I have the truth and you don't. And my job as a good missionary focused person is to befriend you and then what? Bring you a book of warning. That's right. Okay, so so congratulations. You're oh there it is. Yeah, okay. 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 And and how soon can I get the missionaries here? And because my job to interact with you is to make sure that I convert you, because otherwise, guess what? It, we don't believe in like a fiery hell, but the place you're going to is nice. <laughs> it's just not our nice. <laughs> it's just not the upper division nice. We can visit you on holidays, but you're not going to be living with us. <laughs> so, 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 so I really, so my job from a missionary standpoint is that I'm a little anxious because I got to figure out when are you most willing and ready to hear the gospel, rather than maybe she moves in, she's got some things to teach me. You have a tradition, you have knowledge, you've got understanding. I can learn from you. I may be the eyeballs and you may be the brain. You know, I got to hear what you. Okay, so I, I think that's I think that's the challenge. But it's it's hard in our DNA from a bunker mentality to to say I'm going to look at people as somebody I can learn from. Um, I'm just thinking you, you, you've met Alan, our, our buddy Alan in and, and Yair, but it's, but especially Alan in in Israel. Here's a guy, Orthodox Jew. Uh, we love him as a as a guide, but we can never get him on Shabbat because he's he observes Shabbat, and his father was in a concentration camp. Okay, the last the last thing I would say to him is. <laughs> Now, if he, want, if he was interested in the church, I'd be happy to talk to him about it. But I'm more interested in learning from him at the moment because he has experiences and knowledge and understanding to teach me. And because of that, we work, he and I work really well together when we're, off, when we're trying to teach classes because he has this wealth of knowledge I will never have. And I need him to be able to share and I and I I bring my things and he's and he listens. I just it's just such a beautiful thing. Yeah. Years ago, you remember the Enza used to have the mm-hmm. um, There was an article, this was a long time ago. And it was about being a good neighbor because more important than trying to invite your neighbors over immediately that you never speak to most of the time for a fireside or yeah. something like that. They said basically people can tell the problem. They can. They can tell whether or not you're sincere or whether or not you really care about their family or you've been friendly and blah blah you know various things the last few months jim and i have had to rely on our neighbors for things like great helping bringing back the garbage bins and things like that and i have been amazed at what a bad neighbor i am <laughs> yeah i'm a horrible neighbor without me just hi how you doing how's jim doing how's your husband doing and they have just done these things yeah, there's so it's, such it's, great uh, people around if here. To, if you want to teach the gospel to someone, you have to live it, and they have to see it. 
Yeah, uh, and I, I, I've told you guys before, I've mentioned this in class, I, I, I'm still impressed by the experience that Tom Christofferson, Elder Christofferson's brother, talks about living in the avenues of Salt Lake, where there's very little church influence actually in the avenues. Um, and they and the the stake there or the ward there wanted to kind of have like a neighborhood party and everything. So they they sent flyers to everybody in the ward. Come to our our ward or, or our neighborhood get together. It'll be at the parking lot of the church. Come on Saturday, and refreshments include coffee and tea. We're going to be providing coffee and tea as well as everything else because that's the, the, the thing's going to be most comfortable. Now, I don't know how many wards and stakes would be willing to say, okay, we're, we're going we're gonna to send the executive secretary out there to buy a lot of coffee and tea for the gathering. But they felt comfortable and they felt like we're not trying to some, we're trying to connect. We're trying to, okay. So, yeah. We would buy kosher if we invite to Oh, we would buy kosher. That's right. Or, or we're going to run down a halal if we're going to, a halal shop if we're going to invite uh, Islam, right? Uh, okay. Okay. So, here's the tough questions, I think. And, and again, I think it's this. It's this period of time that we're going to have to make adjustments in the way that if we're coming out of the bunker as a church, boy, we've got to confront these. If baptism for somebody else isn't necessarily on the table, then what do we and the restored gospel have to contribute to the world at large? Because if we've been going around saying, well, we have the truth. Okay, they've got truths also what do we have as as a church and as a people to contribute to a world at large if we're not trying to immediately convert them along with that how do we bless them without converting them you sound like I'm going anti-missionary I'm not those those experiences happen organically I had a great example to this um, we have really good friends that aren't members but we have been friends since their son was my son's age and I call him my pseudo son he's a firefighter he had to deal with the shooting and um, it was way hard on him and I texted him and I said I love you he had buckled down and cried to his mom because he was one that was taking care of the five year old and he was yikes and seeing Yikes. The way the people were react, his, his emotions were really bad. And I said to him, and he's been around us enough. I said, "Son, Paul, Daniel, would you want me to um, have John and Ethan give you a blessing?" So this question right here is: is we don't baptize, but we have the priesthood. We can offer ministry and service to all that we love. And he came over, and we gave him a blessing. Oh, that's awesome. And that's awesome. That we don't need to convert him to our church, but we have those those gifts that we can give by ministering and loving those around us. What else have we got? What else have we got as a as as a church and a people to to uh, offer to the world at large? Yeah, Alan. Yeah, this is a super hard question, and I would I would frame it in a different way. Like we have spent. Um, I know you know. For example, like when I was on my mission. The way that you um, preach the gospel, you know, to others to be able to let the Spirit um, work yeah. in them to be able to, right. you know, help them be baptized. 
what you're offering to them is that we're different. Yeah. We're different. We bring something that's totally different than anything else you've ever seen. That's right. We've got the restored gospel. We have, in particular, we have priesthood authority. Yes. And the only true priesthood authority lives within our church. Yes. And so that those kind of arguments, you know, that that hey, families can be together forever, but only if it's within our church. Yes. Those kinds of concepts um, are what are what bring people to the gospel. The, in my view, that those are those kinds of those kinds of major selling points. If if they're hearing that, but th- but those are the same selling points that actually drive people away to say, my my, my, yeah, yes. my, my baptism didn't matter. Well, no, it's got to be ours. Yeah, you know it, now it, now okay. In the end, before the millennium, <laughs> do uh, do temple keys matter? Yes. Before the end of the millennium, do, does the does the Melchizedek priesthood and the sealing power of Elijah matter? Yes. In this life, <laughs> it, it, what do we as a people bring to the rest of the world if you take conversion off the table? What do we got? Well, I teach genealogy, and I can tell you that being the biggest hobby in the world. Oh man, genealogy. Yeah. I don't have a, a, a Mormon in my class, but I have a class of about 30 people. Yeah. And the thing that I talk about uh, is the Bible in relation to old, old, when they took sin. There you go. And when they came back from Babylon, they could not live, uh, serve in the temple if they did not have their genealogy. So I teach that this must have been important to God at this point. And so I'm not actually teaching the church, but I'm just teaching. You're, tr- you're teaching pr- true principles, right? Yes, and I also teach the fact that uh, because I have Jews, I have everybody in my class. Yeah. Different races and different religions, and uh, I teach them that that uh, we all love our families. We all love our families. So, so is and, is and family? Teaching your family and your connection, and if you, I actually teach them. Pray over the people you're having trouble with. They will help you because they want to. Ah. Be and I've had non-members come back and tell me, "I've done that, and I feel so close to them." Yeah, right. And so they're they're really connecting through genealogy. Isn't that cool? And family, and be, and I have not had a single person in my class say, "I." I will not see my family in the next life. They yeah. all Isn't that amazing? Th- that peace and joy that comes from connecting. Yes. And and by the way, how many how many other faith traditions have a belief in their ancestors and the importance of their ancestors? Asians. Oh man, they do. Yeah. Native Americans. And Native Americans. Yeah. We can share the counsel of the prophet with our friends and neighbors, such as self reliance. Self reliance is another one, right? Boy, I think so. Both in, in our example and in the way that we say this is this is a way for communities to be better is if we have a certain set of guidelines. Uh, no, I, I think I think we and we're steeped in that, and I think we're good at that. This is something that as the church members we do well. Yeah. Well, yeah. Part of what John was saying, our example. You know, I mean. We have know about Christ. We know more about His teachings than just the Bible. What kind of example are we to those around us? You know, and helping them 
understand more, you know, if the world is in heaven and supposedly to them we're going to hell, then we make a heaven of us and our family. There we go. And our, and our neighborhood and our, and our relationships and our connections. Example. Absolutely, yeah. My wife and I had a rather unique and nice experience last Thursday. We went to the second annual ward banquet in the Trusted World Chair. It's only me from the Yeah. The young man that received the award Dear Joseph. Dear Joseph. <laughs> and when they went through his presentation, the reason, when I think that he received the award is he was always happy. Yeah. He made people around him happy. He contributed to the effort. Yeah, it's a, it's a Down Syndrome service missionary. Yeah, yeah, I know. And, and he got a lot of recognition. And a really cool trophy. Yes. He does, he does, yeah. We are, really, we are really well organized and we can attend natural disasters. We're good at that, aren't we? How fast, how fast did a hurricane come or a tornado can we put together? Can we put 10,000 people on the ground? Man, we, we are good at, at that outgrowth and, and ability to organize very quickly. And, and Although it's interesting, I think it was Patrick Mason that said it. Um, it's funny, we're working a lot with Catholic Charities, the church is, in a variety of places in a variety of ways. And he made the comment that uh, sometimes we're better at leading than following. <laughs> we're, we're good at kind of leading out and then inviting people to join us rather than saying, they're leading out and we'll just bring our strength and you, you lead out as well. I think it's interesting, yeah? The talk that President Nelson gave on contention the last conference, mm. I still think it's one of the best we were we had we were speaking to someone who uh, made copies of that and sent it to non-members, sent it to lots of different people because she was so convinced, which all of us are here too, that it, it was divinely inspired and the world needs it. Yeah. And so, the, but there, but that is, but that is a gift to them. And so we do that sort of. We do a lot of things very well, and. Um, I know we get criticized and stuff, but I know you're talking about the bunker mentality and everything, but I think what you told us was wonderful. Yeah. And that would not have happened if you had not been a friend to him all those years. Yeah, because the, the relationship was already there. That's a great point, yeah. Um, <clears throat> when I've been, <clears throat> excuse me, I've been able to give a share like our food or our home to people who are not members of the church in their need, time of need, and and be there to help them as they work through mm -hmm. their struggles. Yeah, yeah. See, and I think in that interchange, so so I, I if I would if if I would have added one more thing to this, and and probably should. Um, I think part of collaborating is not only what do we have to share, but what do they what do they have to share with us? What do other people bring to our lives? Okay, um, we we were we were able to go to uh, Pesach, Passover Seder. Man, I learned a lot. <laughs> that was a inspiring evening of learning about other ways of look, looking at and engaging in, in that whole experience. Okay? 
What, what does the world have for us? Because that is probably the, the harder step beyond that. We, we got good stuff we can share, but what have they got to share with us? Well, I just can say there are a lot of different beliefs, a lot of different groups. And if you back up and look at what they're doing, they do a lot of good. Yeah, and can I learn from? Can I be taught by that? Does does their stuff make my life richer? You go over there and you see people from all over the world, different faiths, different ideas, different beliefs. When we stopped at the Jordan River, yeah, the original side of Christ Baptist there, baptizing members of their yeah, and their service was impressive. Yeah, I know. I mean, little things like that, I'm thinking, you know, the Lord has got to respect them if they're doing the best they can. And, and hopefully He will respect us if we do the best we can with what we have. And if we can figure out how to talk to, communicate, relate to all these other people, that makes it easier for the Lord's work to eventually reach them, I think. Yeah, I think that, I think that ability to then look at, at everybody else's... Um, if, if you've never been to a black church, you got to go to a black church, traditional black church, at least once. <laughs> you, need, you need that experience because we, we, reverence, we reverence the Savior. We speak often about the Savior. Oh man, we're not, we're not even close <laughs> uh, in terms of trust Jesus, be with Jesus, allow Jesus in life, Jesus take the wheel. I mean, it's like their unbreakable linear trust is just inspiring. And I just, I'm always just kind of buoyed by that. It's like, this is so cool. And, and we get done with two hours, and we're like, okay, it's time to go home and have lunch. Yes, and, <laughs> and we're going to sing our funeral dirges. Yeah. Um, whew, how long does a traditional black church go? <laughs> Till it's done. <laughs> <laughs> Hell is done, baby. They're going until you know maybe late in the evening, and then tell it's done. Yeah. The old Stake Center and Keys Boulevard. Oh yeah. I went to church there for many, many, many. Yeah, Cindy was baptized there. Well, when it was sold, it was sold to a black church. Yeah. And I heard some of the things that they were especially interested in some of the rooms so they could set up a first aid. Type thing when people fainted. And oh yeah, 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 yeah. And they love the kitchen. It's one of the when, when the Holy Spirit hits, man, you're you got kitchens yeah. that they don't build anymore. I mean, big, so they could cook their fried chicken. And I, and I, no one ever made me fried chicken, but anyway, <laughs> the big fry. And then I, I just love this. Down the, it, the, the it sort of was a slope. Mm-hmm. They had big colored photographs or pictures of revered church members, and they lined them up. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And uh, it was it was just you know really they really were so excited about that building of all the things that we never thought to use it for that they that they could use it for. That's awesome. It, it really was. That's awesome. Yeah, they're, they're bringing so so again. I think our. Part of our challenge is not just to be able to share the gospel with others, but it really is to share us, share our unique skills and things that we have learned in the church um, to be able to bless and serve the lives of others. But, uh, and again, Mother's Day is coming up. Let me me just mention something, and then I'm going to come back to you. As sisters, let me tell you something you guys are awful at. (laughs) 
you guys are awful. <laughs> you are wonderful at serving. You really stink at being served. <laughs> you are quick to take a meal to anybody in need. If somebody wants to bring a meal to you, now nah, I got this. <laughs> I'm all right. I got, I'm all right. I, I don't, can somebody step in and help you? No, I'm good, I'm good. Will you go help somebody else? Absolutely, you're there. <laughs> Okay, and sometimes our ability to let other people serve us and bless our lives is something sometimes we've got to get out of our own way to do. Am I missing by much? That's why so many women don't like Mother's Day. It's like, I don't want to be served. Yeah. An interesting sidelight on this. My sister, her husband was in the Army in Frankfurt, Germany for a number of years. Yeah. And uh, Elder Uchtdorf was living in the same area and was the high council and their state president for a while. Wow. And... There was one time her husband was gone to wife for number three. And she was, they were always in a German war because her husband had gone on a mission to Germany, uh -huh, uh -huh. Germany and wanted her, their family to love the German people like he did. And she got sick, but she said, you know, I've got, you know, two teenage girls at home and they can help me with the other kids and take care of things. So she kept turning down help. Mm -hmm. when the German sisters wanted to help her because she knew she was sick. She goes, I've got teenagers and they can help me. So one day, President Uchtdorf, who was the state president, called her up and said, Sister Coe, I understand that you haven't been feeling well. Yes, well, yeah, yes Dieter. Yes, know, yes, yes. I understand your husband's been and proceeded to gently <laughs> reprimand her about, you know, since you're hurting these sisters' feelings, they want to help you, and you need to help yourself with that. And afterwards, she thought, they must have been really upset if they called the state president. That he <laughs> She won't let us help her. Yeah, I know. I, th I just think we sometimes have that mentality in the church. Probably comes from being too long in the bunker that we learned how to be self-reliant. We just haven't been as good at engaging the help other places. Okay? All right. And Brent, you had one more? Well, I, just, I, I know I've shared it before. My brother, Mike, told the story that this book repeated often. He has a book that says, Y'all understand that I did not receive my testimony of the gospel and study I received it many years before I ever met the missionary. Wow. But when I studied the missionary, I realized that you guys had a few things that I needed. Ah. That's cool. And I suspect that happens much more frequently in the church than we would admit. Yeah, it should be more I often. I think if they haven't studied with us, if they aren't one of us, somehow things are not right. These really good people in the world, I hope we grow to the point that we don't have to reteach them everything. We only have to take yeah. what they already have and add those few particular things that we have. That's right. And that'll, and I think most of that will happen for so many of these people. That's in the next life. Jesus is in charge of that one. <laughs> our, our job is just to try and build community and collaboration in this life and, and, and bring our skills to the world and then accept their skills into our life. Yeah. One of the things, my husband and I went to Japan for a month earlier because he had served as mission in Japan uh -huh. and loved the people. But um, they, of course, you know, we're more European-like, not Asian-like. So their culture, their people are very different. Most of them, they do ancestor 
um, honoring, the nature honoring, but most people are not religious. Sunday is not a religious day for them whatsoever. Right. And so most of them do not. They're probably more of a country of agnostics yeah. or atheists. But they are safe, they are kind, they are clean. We were able to, um, one time we went to Disneyland in Tokyo, we were staying in Nagoya. We rode public transportation, got to Nagoya at midnight on the bullet train, rode the subway, three stops to where we were, walked five blocks to where we stayed. In Nagoya, which is three to four million people, without including the suburbs, much bigger wow. than Dallas, and we were never once accosted, we never once felt unsafe, and that just would not happen here. Yeah. The streets were safe, the streets were... They have some gifts. ...were clean, and so they are not Christian by any means, they're not even, you know, so much following God, but I think there's a lot that we can learn. We're from that. Boy, isn't that the truth? This is Japan. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, we were in Nagoya, but we also spent time in Tokyo. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Brent, one more. Just another simple little thought. You mentioned the Passover. Yeah. Yeah. I gave him some tickets to the basketball game, the Mavericks game, on Sunday, and I said, hey, we don't go to Sunday, but up these tickets, we're not going to use them. You think maybe you can put them to good use? And his comment is, you know, we ought to work closer together. We might be able to take advantage of that. Our Sabbath is us. That's awesome. That's awesome. And we can chuckle about it in all seriousness. It works. It works. Absolutely. There are opportunities out there if we're willing to pay attention. Okay. So before we wrap up, let me do this. We never got to the Book of Mormon. <laughs> This is one of the reasons, guys, why we're still in the middle of Alma two, two years in. All right. Um, so here, here's something I want you to study for, uh, for next time. Because um, we're about to talk about Alma uh, engaging for the first time with the Zoramites. So here's my question for next time. Uh, and, I, and I'll just preface with this. Uh, when... When Nephi is in Jerusalem and, and Father sends him back to Jerusalem to pick up some things and then they head out into the wilderness. What two objects did Nephi bring back to Lehi's family that aided them in the wilderness and then in the promised land? Could you say that one more time? Okay. What two objects... Did Nephi bring, and I, I'm asking this as a question now to set you up for be thinking. What two objects did Nephi pick up in Jerusalem that aided them in the promised land? Sword. One was the sword. He came back with a sword. What else did he come back Brass with? Plates. Brass plates. Okay. So when Nephi is on his way to the promised land from Jerusalem, he brought a sword and he brought the word. Now the question is... When do you use the sword and when do you use the word? When is the sword the wrong weapon <laughs> to use and when is the word the right weapon and what makes the difference and what's the effect? When do you choose the word and when do you choose the sword? 
And that will get us into, especially if you read Alma 31, it'll jump right out at you about halfway through. Okay? All right. When to use the word, the sword. Now, final comments before we wrap this up. I'm sitting here thinking that I, when I joined the church and I had so many people in my family upset, and I was being taken out, you know, you eat, it's, yeah, I can laugh about it now, but it wasn't easy. Mm-mm. I appreciated the bunker. I appreciated the fact that I could go to the young single adults and be treated right and not challenged yeah. on everything I was believing, that I was right. not being tithing, that I was not drinking this, doing that. And there are, maybe you don't, maybe debunker isn't the right word, but it's it's a safety zone, safe zone. And there's, I don't think there's anything wrong. And can the, and can the, yeah, trying to separate out kind of the bunker mentality so we don't engage with the world versus having a safe community in here where we can grow and be strengthened and help. Well, I think, I think, I think that's really a good question, yeah. Just to follow up on that thought, you go to the Savior, he's always talking about bringing the sheep back to the fold. Yeah. The fold isn't the flock of sheep, it's a safe place, they put sheep at night. Yeah, it was. Uh, and then on a regular basis, he where where was he found? You know, and so there is a time when sheep need to be taken care of. So yeah. Well, I just wanted to add one more thing about uh, uh, one of the things that's happened in my, my classes because because I came from a difficult childhood, a family that did not live the gospel, and they only joined when I was a child, and I was eight years old anyway. And I'm uh, talking about the difficult family somewhat in my classes uh, because all of the people in there have some difficulty that's happened in their life. They all have black sheep. They all have <laughs> It's true. It's true. They don't know how to deal with them. And I talk about uh, my sense of forgiveness toward a very, very difficult mother. Oh, I like and that. And how I feel about her now. And has changed hearts in there toward their family. And uh, these people have thanked me for being so honest with them and to tell them that. And I can feel the softening of hearts. That's cool. Yeah, I I think you told me that you've got to have a strong testimony to do your genealogy. <laughs> you, you never know what you're going to find, and you got to be ready for those kind of. You do, and they they ask me about polygamy, and I just I have uh, one polygamous grandfather, and uh, I just tell him, you know, it just complicates genealogy. Yeah, it does. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, when I did my DNA. I can't tell you that every cousin I have is all related to that. I'm I'm waiting to see. I'm, I'm sending my DNA thing off today, so we're okay. we'll we'll find out what kind of secrets the well, Hinkley family I has. Feel like it's a heavy subject, and so they're able to look at it and have a lighter spirit about it. And I think they're going to be ready for God. That's cool. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm in the process of getting out of the bunker. Yeah. And sometimes I get scared and I run back. Because I think I'm going to be able to get out So should I be open? Yeah. So I'm in that process. I have this picture of you like standing in the doorway. Yeah. And you go. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. Okay. Come take some pictures, and then I'm gonna step back in to look at. Wow, that was pretty scary out there. Okay. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah. Uh, I had uh, had two experiences that uh, fit with some of the things we talked about. Number one was my grandmother uh, had a son who had died, and uh, of course they preached that he wasn't baptized, etc. And so when the elders came. They, uh, she accepted them because of the fact that they yeah. didn't feel that that her son, who had done, never done anything really bad, was going to hell. They said, and so there are probably three thousand. Mormons now that are yeah. descendants of that mistake. Wow. That the, that the uh, traveling minister made. But the other thing was when we were in uh, South Africa, no, no, Ecuador, why the uh, the Catholics uh, had a, an orphanage that my husband worked in, and uh, we were there for orphanage support. And they kept the children until they were four years old so they could do a certain uh, procedure. That, uh, and what it did is that if you wait until a child is four years old, they're going to have a lot of bonding problems with the North, with their mm. uh, orphan yeah. thing. And uh, so uh, I was at the other orphanage, and uh, when I saw what they were doing, I talked to the lady who was running my orphanage, and I said, they shouldn't do that because then the children have such bad time yeah. bonding. Yeah. And uh, she went to the politician who was in charge of who got to adopt who and etc. And they changed the policy oh, good. to make it so that they were supposed to be adopted earlier. That's cool. On my say so. There you go. So we have things to bring, right? <laughs> we have things to bring. All right. Well, I bury my testimony that that as a people we can be a force for good in the world. That we have things that we have learned. We are, we are as a people. We have the ability to bless and organize, and we have the ability to have a listening ear and be taught by other people as well. And I think that's the whole idea of learning to be. Uh, less kind of in our fortress and more about trying to reach out to the world and be a, a force for good that really needs us uh, at the moment. So I pray we can do that and I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Cindy, can we get a closing prayer? Let me... <clears throat> 
And thank you for joining us for another Monday morning class. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions about future topics that we could discuss, or if you had any questions concerning something that you heard in the class, please drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. As always, if you happen to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please come in and join us on a Monday morning. We'd love to see you and identify who you are. If the podcast itself is resonating with you, go ahead and click subscribe uh, so that Apple can figure out where we are. We'd love to, to hear from you. So again, thank you for coming, and we'll see you for another Monday morning class.